HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome. I'm Sam Ben Ruby for Heritage Radio Network. <coughs> Excuse me, on tour. We're broadcasting live from the Le Creuset podcast studio at Charleston Wine and Food. Today we're celebrating International Women's Day, and our lineup is full of women in food and drink that inspire us. Go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash Charleston 2019 to see our full interview schedule. We want to thank Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio on tour at Charleston Wine and Food possible. Welcome to the Grape Nation part of our on-tour uh, radio broadcast. Um, today, we are down at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, and I have a panel of three terrific people uh, to celebrate International Women's Day. First, let me introduce our panel, and then uh, we'll get into each of them a little, what they're doing, and then we're going to get into some stuff pretty deep. Uh, Morgan Calcote is the reigning James Beard award-winning winner for Outstanding Wine Program in the country. She is the general manager and wine director at FIG right here in Charleston. Jillian Charette is associate editor and director of restaurant awards at Wine Spectator magazine. She also has a tasting beat of France and Portugal and is a tasting coordinator at the magazine still, right? And Laura, Laura Brennan Bissell went from an aspiring tattoo artist to the proprietor of our one-woman project, In Canoe and La Lalu, making low-intervention wines from organically farmed grapes. Her wines are inspired by the French, t- French tradition of Vinde... Vendussois. My French thing, so I'm glad you're here. Which translates uh, into wine of thirst. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for taking time out of all your busy schedules. I know you're all running around. Um, today is International Women's Day. Um, so I really want to talk about women and wine, if you guys don't mind. Um, I think the first thing is, the first thing is, tell me if you think women have made strides in the past years in the wine world, you know, and how it affects you. I mean, Jillian, you're on the uh, publishing side. Um, is it something you notice or not necessarily? Absolutely. Yeah, we, our editorial coverage um, is including women more and more, whether they're chefs, 
uh, restaurant tours. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Um, and just looking at our restaurant awards program, um, I look at many a wine list every year um, and the people that are involved in them. And more and more, you come across women in various capacity. And definitely in the regions I cover, um, in Provence, Languedoc, Roussillon, Portugal, um, I'm finding more and more women becoming more heavily involved in in the wine world so it's very exciting right now not to be negative but is there any negative where you see things are not happening um not necessarily i mean obviously so it's going in the right direction it's going in the right direction okay. obviously this change like that doesn't happen overnight but right. um i think it's more of the long game here but changes on the way mm-hmm. and morgan you're more on the ground you know you're literally on the floor of a restaurant and that's a totally uh different environment um I know in New York, and in your case, I mean, women are really starting to, you know, have prominence in the business. Do you feel uh, women are still being underserved in the business, or that's changing? Again, I think to second what you just said is we're heading in the right direction. You okay. know, um, I think that you know, in the six years I've been at Fig, I've seen uh, a shift in. Um, in a lot of aspects of restaurant culture, uh, locally and, and nationally, all for the better. We're starting conversations that need to be had, um, being more conscientious and mindful about the decisions we're making, the, the practices that we, uh, we value in restaurants. And a lot of that, I think, um, concerns you know, equality across a range uh, of, of parameters. And I, I'm really loving the, the diversity and the energy and the um, kind of like positive momentum that we're building as a restaurant community to recognize people with talent Right. Um, you know, regardless of, of, you know, what their um, demographic is. Right. Yeah. Um, Laura, I mean, the nice thing is here we're getting three different perspectives. Laura is a winemaker, um, and I guess I throw that question to you. Is for, you know, you are a woman winemaker. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm saying that kindly, it's a male-dominated business. <laughs> um, t- tell me, you know, your feelings. Um, I as well see a lot of progression um, with women coming into the industry in particular over the past couple years I feel like a lot more like younger women coming up have been reaching out you know saying I want to be a winemaker I want to work in wine I want to be a viticulturist how do I go about doing it they're not scared away they're looking to take yeah exactly like I feel like there's more of an emphasis of inclusivity which is awesome Um, but are they being accepted and pointed in the right direction now more than ever you think i think so i mean and and i think that that's partly because there's been a bit of a spotlight put on women who have made it work right so you have like it's not just kathy corson you know right the old (laughs) school yeah uh, trailblazers is amazing yeah but um you have more people to reach out to um to kind of find your guiding light Right. Uh, and I think that that's the case for viticulture as well. Um, there's, you know, one of the most powerful tools I've come across is a, uh, a message board called Vit Women, which... Um, Spell it? Vit Women. It's like uh, V-I-T women. Okay. Um, and uh, Debbie Ziegelbaum, who unfortunately passed away this past year, um, she was a longtime, very important viticulturist in Napa. Uh, had started it and the site is still up though yep and the the message board still carries on uh, in her honor and that's been incredible for networking for women great um yes or no question and if you have to add to it you can are women psalms women winemakers women in journalism are they perceived and treated the same as men 
You go first, Jillian. All right. Well, um, in journalism, that's a, a complicated answer, of, of course. I mean, I can speak at Wine Spectator. Um, d- women are definitely held to the same exact standard. So okay. um, it, that doesn't necessarily matter. So, yeah. Um, Morgan, I know the old story is a person would go into a restaurant, a female song would come up, and they'd say, where's the sommelier? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I think we're a little beyond that. But are, yeah, are, we definitely, tell yeah. me, are, they, are women perceived and treated the same as men? I think uh, yes and no with increasing yeses. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Laura? Um, I still will tell people that I'm a winemaker and they'll ask me if I do it in my garage or like if I'm the accountant because my husband... Like you're not serious about yeah, doing no, this Yeah, no, I'm not seriously living. a right. winemaker or oh, so you like do the marketing and your husband's right. a winemaker, you know, and I'm so, like, no. Jillian, you kind of hit it. It's a complicated answer. Mm-hmm. I think strides are being made. I think you express that and we all agree. And I still think there's you know some ways to go which is good and I think guys like you women like you you know can uh, help trailblaze that Um, if someone came to you you and you and I just pointed to our three guests um, and wanted to get in the business quickly what advice would you give them because you're the gatekeepers and the encouragers and the influencers Jillian what would you well um, in terms of my background how I got to wine spectator it was um, a career change Um, I did go to school for hospitality, but then I was in the world of real estate. Um, Wine was kind of hovering in the background a little bit. My dad was in hospitality. He had um, a couple restaurants, actually one that was in the Wine Spectator Restaurant Awards program. I didn't learn that until a few years. Right. (laughs) My dad neglected to tell me that. So you've had some exposure (laughs) to all that world. But when I decided to make the change into wine, it's just, it's a hustle. I mean, you, there's a lot to learn. You kind of have to show your passion. But we're talking from you being a woman aspect. Oh, okay. Hustle more? Um, Not necessarily? uh, You know, I mean... I'm in New York, and so I think that's a little bit of a bubble. Um, but I think uh, I think it's pretty equal in that regard. It's just that you have to definitely go uh, well beyond. Um, right. You know, you have to go above and beyond with everything. Right. Um, and I think you kind of have to prove yourself to everyone. And then once you're able to do that, then uh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Morgan, I'm I'm in love with wine. You know, I'd like to work at a restaurant wine service. I bump into you, family, friend, or whatever. You know, I'm a young woman. What, what, what would you tell me? Um, I would ask you how serious you are about restaurants in general because it. it so takes, commitment is a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. I, you can't. You. I think that uh, the a certain level, uh, the pursuit of, of wine knowledge and, and being a, a wine you know, focused career um, professional, it takes takes a lot of. Um, love. You don't do it because it's easy. You don't do it because you can hit a, a barrier or a baseline and be like, okay, I'm good. Because like, wine's changing all the time. You're always having right, to Right, that applies to anything, but right, wine is yeah. so vast and compli- right. complicated. you got to right. get like so, all like, that's, in. That's question one for anybody. Right. Um, and then, you know, uh, the, the next part of it is is find somebody, find a culture, find a restaurant um, that has a culture of uh, of bringing people up, of teaching staff that's eager to learn, that makes a knowledge and, and access to tastings and to winemakers and to um, experiences that will broaden and deepen your knowledge. Um, part of what they offer, in addition to you know maybe the odd psalm shift on the floor or helping you know stock bottles, whatever it is, and, and just take the opportunities that come. Ask questions. Don't be afraid right. uh, to admit that you don't know because 
I get asked questions all the time, and I'm like, I don't know. Let me <laughs> right. Let me check. You don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> right. I can find out, and then we'll both know. Right. Um, and uh, I think that's it. Just having, um, you know, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone in terms of admitting vulnerability, um, with with you know the need to learn and the the desire to um, to have access to something. I think that's a lot of um, challenge in. Um, Maybe not particular to women, but I think I found challenging was uh, was asking for what I what I wanted, um, right. asking for what right. I That's needed a great point. to 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 progress. Great point, um, Laura. I mean, more and more women are getting into winemaking. Um, still not a lot. Just as I asked Morgan, somebody comes up to you and says, "I'd really love to make wine." <laughs> You want to encourage any person interested, and we want more women, but what would you tell this um, person? I'm a big fan of the Ruth Bader Ginsburg approach. Which, which is? is? Work harder and smarter. Don't get angry. Keep okay. trying. If somebody slams the door in your face, go to the next door. Knock again. You'll find your people. You know, I, I think that in a certain way, people viewing us as weaker, as women, is like a superpower. Um, it gives you this kind of quiet entrance of making a whole bunch of stuff happen and and then boom surprise like you have you have gotten to your place and that's that's a great answer um all right let's talk a little about wine all right um and thank you for that laura let's talk about wine lists i want to talk about natural wines a little and i want you to give me a take on exciting new wines regions and grapes um so let's talk wine lists first Morgan and Gillian, we know wine lists could be intimidating. Um, Gillian, I mean, you have a lot of experience in this. Morgan, you're one of the people that takes a large amount of wine available and figures out how to make a smaller list great. Um, what's the best advice you give to a customer, you know, or a friend when they say, God, you know, I walk into a restaurant and the wine list, I don't want to look stupid in front of my friends or I don't know what to do. You know, what are the two, three things? Morgan, you start. Sure. Um, you know, I think, again, it's like asking for help. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, 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 that's where it's got to start. It's on the person to ask, yeah. though. But if they don't, it's on you right. to pull it out. Right. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a two-way street there. Like, uh, the guests should you know hopefully being getting more comfortable with the idea that we're there to to help guide them with selections that we made with with you know the concept of the restaurant and the menu in mind um but then also the the capable and and um aware staff should also be meeting them in the middle and if they're flipping through pages and saying all these words and and not really kind of like uh have have a an aura of confidence um then we should be able to are there you know can we can we help narrow some things down for you? Can we have a conversation? Do you want to? Do you want to discuss? What are you looking for? Um, so that that getting the conversation started um, right. is is huge. Kind of the attitude goes out the door a little because yeah. I think that's what people get intimidated by. Sure. Yeah. And I think that you know um, I think the that kind of like haughty and removed sommelier is um, is maybe a stereotype of the past. I think there's enough young people enough on both sides dining and um, and serving that. Um, that are excited about wine, and that the ego is kind of um, kind of deflating in, right. in that in that uh, realm of restaurants, which I love because it shouldn't be intimidating. Wine is it's alcohol; it's there to help right. facilitate a good time and add flavor to a table, you know. And and there's nothing about that that should be like, well, are you good enough to have this wine, right. um, or do you know enough to be able, to, you know? So I think that that um, 
generally is falling away. So I think that there is less barrier to kind of getting the, the right bottle on the table um, in restaurant scenarios. Jillian, and, yeah. what's your take? I mean, how do you get somebody to ultimately get to the best selections? Yeah, you know, um, when I go out to restaurants, especially the ones that are really wine-centric, I know that are passionate about wine, I love to be surprised. I love to be like, hey, here's my price point. Give me... Sh- Show me something that you're excited about, you know. But that's that's good advice that you're not dwelling on. You mm-hmm. have to lay out there. Here's right. what I want to spend. Right. Yeah. And, and I have no. And what other things? I like red. I like white. Yeah. White, you know, I like French. You got to lay it all on the table. I lay it right? all on the table and I say, you know, show me what you're excited about. Because, I mean, these wine directors, these sommeliers, they put a lot of time, passion into these programs. So show me what you're excited about. I think it ends up, you get a lot of discovery out of that and maybe um, pleasant surprise or, you know, because that's what wine is. It's discovery a lot of the time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do we still agree that there's like some snooty wine people out there with attitude and that's why I'm even asking the question? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's snooty people for anything. (laughs) It's going to exist. Laura, I want to turn this to you in a different way. So... You have someone who writes about wines, wine lists, you know, runs an awards program. Um, Morgan, who really takes time and pains to make the right selections. What does someone like you tell these guys to get on a list? You know, I mean, you have a story, but there's almost so much shelf space. So, honestly, I, I actually don't want my story to speak for my wine. I like my wine to just stand alone and be what it is. Um, I have a kind of internal churning about wine being so story-based at this point because wine is a consumer good that has to do with flavor and taste and smell. And yes, stories can be cool, but the bottom line for me is that a wine is pleasurable. Um, So if I was tasting with Morgan, for example, um, or Jillian, I wouldn't really want them to know my story. I would want them to taste the wine, and then we wine talk first about, before the story. Yeah, absolutely. This sucks. Get out of here. This is I, great. What's if your that's story? That's how somebody feels. That's fine. Okay. I mean, it's, it's it's subjective. Okay. But yeah, I that, think that um, that's an interesting take. Um, I didn't want to talk about this, but I'll bring it up for a second. Millennials, which are kind of taking over, you know, the market, are becoming customers. Um, and influencers, um, how are they affecting the wine market? Are they buying? Because the reason I ask the question is, I think millennials are about stories. They're interested in some a wine that has a story. Um, but are they spending as much? Are they spending as much on wine? Are they spending as much time in a restaurant? Um, what's your take on that? Um, our readership, I mean, I, we definitely do have millennials who are readers but um our readership is not really that's that generation. not the wheelhouse core that's audience. not the wheelhouse i mean but maybe down the road they will become you know a right. wine spectator reader um but i know that you know from the uh restaurant awards perspective we're having younger and younger people who are directors of you know of these wine programs and so they're um they're doing some really interesting things you know kind of really curating wine lists to um, to their clientele, but also kind of pushing the envelope right. beyond that. So I think in that regard, um, you know, they're kind of into that discovery a little bit more. They're um, they tend to go a little bit more freely off the beaten path, um, and you know, they're not going to just stick to the tried and true uh, for the most part. So that's exciting. What about 
you, Morgan, on the floor? Is that becoming a bigger, more important customer? Or you still have your base? Yeah, I think it's shifting a little bit, you know. Not, um, not, not a lot. You know, I think that's something that's uh, maybe particular to FIG, um, you know, and in particular to, and we may, we're a small restaurant with a relatively small wine list, but I think the way restaurants are moving forward, the wine lists are smaller, the restaurants are smaller, the atmosphere may be um, even a little more relaxed um, and, and less kind of fine dining. Um, and I think that's where um, probably younger generations are, are gravitating more towards for affordability reasons, right. um, which is understandable because while there are more people in that generation that are buying wine, relative bottle price, I would say, is, is lower than other demographics that are maybe a little more financially secure right. <laughs> in different parts in their life. So, um, But we do see it, you know. It's, yeah. um, so it's not a major yeah. factor yet. Yeah, I think it's, it's growing. It's shifting. Yeah, and I think yeah. you see that they're probably more like on the retail side of things and, and more casual restaurants. And I think I see a lot more kind of casual, smaller restaurants that have really like thoughtful, um, like 30 bottle lists that are a lot of fun and have um, great wines for their food and are, you know, like the average bottle price is lower than, than maybe something we hit. I would like to sit down with you in five years <laughs> and see how the answer changes. Yeah. Now, you've been making wine for a few years. Who are you trying to appeal to? Is it necessarily millennials? It's everybody? Is it naturally? I mean, the question isn't, are you marketing to millennials? But who, who, is, who is the um, consumer right now, the audience? So in seven years of being a producer, I've gotten to see some shift in this. Um, I think that there's like a difference between Instagrammable wines and what people are actually drinking. Um, you may not see LaPierre Morgon on Instagram every day, but people are drinking a lot of it. I see a lot of Beaujolais. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of hot. You know, yeah. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, you're right. But the, the basics, you know, they're still being consumed. Um, I think that price point is something to consider. Um, you know, the 60-year-old primarily male market buying $100 cabs, that's, you know, decreasing. Um, so price... Yes, definitely a factor, but I do think that we'll hear something about millennial fatigue eventually where people get tired of drinking a different bottle of wine every night, you know, wanting to try every new thing, having a great experience, and, you know, we're humans. We like patterns. Right. So I think that will die back a bit. Um, I want to get your take, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, Um, on natural wines. There's sort of a movement. Um... Jillian, you know, Wine Spectator, you talked about their audience, and I think their wheelhouse is, you know, Bordeaux, Burgundy, you know, all the great regions there, and and beyond. Um, Tell me your take on natural wines, the natural wine movement. I'm just curious. Uh, I mean, it's definitely interesting, um, but when it comes to our reviewing of wines, um, just a brief overview, each taster is assigned certain regions, what we call beets, um, and then they become the expert of that region. Um, They are in charge of kind of understanding the benchmark, understanding the grape varieties, the styles that um, are a part of that region. Um, And the way that we taste is blind. So we don't know the producer, we don't know the price. um, 
And, you know, natural wines are held against the same standards as regular wines. So some are great, some are not so great, just like every other are, wine out are, there. Are you tasting them at Wine Spectator? Does somebody... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, absolutely. Um, our basic requirements are that wines be imported into the United States because that's where right. our audience is. But they are bagged up and... And camouflage just like any other wine. So right. Mm-hmm. So they're subject to the same. They're subject you know, to the same criteria. Which is, mm-hmm. That's that's one of the benefits of blind tasting in right. that sense. Now, Morgan, you're a purveyor of natural wines, not exclusively. What's your take? Um, you know, I think that the term natural wine that continues to get muddied. That's the other <laughs> yeah. thing too. I, I don't I know like, <laughs> real. I, I, I like real wine, but people it's, don't. Yeah, I think it's the way that, like, in, in the culinary world, like the word, like the phrase "farm to table." It's like, well, yeah, sure, it's a, a produce. It came from a farm of some scale. Um, <laughs> and the same way people are like natural wines. Yeah, okay, sure, it came from grapes, but like, I, and I understand there's a lot of room in between, you know the grape vine being planted and it ultimately becoming a wine and there's lots of decisions and intentions that can get set there and um you know i i try to we don't have a hard line at the restaurant basically i don't have a hard line um about like yes it must be natural or no you know right. uh, no conventional wines or whatever um I, I think that there's so much gray in the middle and the really and again to, to second what you've said is is that that the wine should be held to the same standard. You know, it can right. have a great story. It can be no sulfur and you know foot trod and what have you. But if it's not good, then I can't sell it. I don't want to drink it. I don't well, talk everyone about it. should be uh, <laughs> held to that standard. Um, yeah. Laura, you are a real winemaker. You are a low intervention person. Mm-hmm. Um, give me your take on it. So, and I think one of the problems, and I didn't mean to interrupt, is just asking a question where there's a kind of a moniker you know tell me about natural wine oh no i i'm so comfortable talking about this at this point (laughs) um i think that uh the term natural wine is basically a greenwashing term at this point um i think that it just doesn't really mean anything and i think that unfortunately it's used as a uh like an excuse for bad wine. So wh- <laughs> Somet- I mean, not 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 across the board. So, so I totally but- <laughs> get that. Yeah. So, how what you do? How do we refer to it? So I would refer to myself as a low intervention maker or winemaker. That right. I, I make real wine. Um, I think that there are plenty of people who use the moniker natural wine who also make beautiful, amazing wine. But I think that there's also like a placation of a lot of bad winemaking or people who lie about their vineyards um, and then use the term natural wine to hide behind. Right. So I I, just don't trust it anymore. I used to trust it. I I think when things were happening, you know, the references were there. Now it's it's become very specific. I mean, what you do is low intervention. You're making real wine. Mm-hmm. Um, just saying you're a natural winemaker is almost... I mean, saying I'm a natural winemaker scares me because I think that then somebody's going to think that my wines are going to be extremely volatile or mousy because that's what a lot of people think when right. they hear that term. Right. Um, and I strive to make good wine. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, so I want to ask you guys what people should be drinking now. And Jillian, you have a specific beat at Wine Spectator. Mm-hmm. You cover Portugal, yes, which is a very interesting wine area, mm-hmm. and you cover parts of France. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me some good grapes, regions, right. and let's 
back into the wall a little more and see if we could come up with women winemakers. Sure, absolutely. Doesn't have to be, but where, where you could think of it. Absolutely. So I cover the table wines of Portugal. Um, my colleague, senior editor James Molesworth, covers the fortified wines. So, right. Port. Uh, so port. <laughs> um, but Portugal is super exciting. Um, it's very dynamic. I mean, obviously, the Douro Valley um, is where a lot of people have been going towards for their amazing red wines and white wines. Um, Sandra Tavares da Silva, she um, is the winemaker for Wine and Soul. She works with her um, husband, George, too. But um, she's super cool. Um, Wine and Soul is producing some amazing um, reds and white wines. Um, and she she used to work for Christian Von Zeller when, after she graduated uh, enology school. Um, but she splits her time between Wine and Soul and Quinto de Chacapala, which is her family's winery in the Lisboa region. Um, and they're, that's a really cool dynamic region in Portugal if we're looking outside of the Douro Valley right. um, that she's working on, um, which is different from the Douro. It's southern. It's, more, it's farther south. It's just um, uh, it's on the coast, um, so you get some coastal influence. Um, other really cool areas are um, Felipe Pato. She is at the Barada region. And um, she, I haven't officially reviewed her wines, but I have had them. Um, but she is uh, just a force when it comes to, because um, she, she calls it wine without makeup. <laughs> so, nice. um, but she's kind of discovering the indigenous grape varieties out of the Barada region. Um, white and red and she does a lot of um, experimenting with amphora and all that cool stuff um, very cool yeah so just what about France so in France tell um, me the areas that you cover um, I cover Beaujolais um, I also uh, Languedoc Roussillon um, southwest France and most recently Provence um, starting this year so is Beaujolais hotter than ever right now oh yeah I mean it's becoming more expensive than ever too <laughs> but um, no I love I love Beaujolais um uh, when I was in the Languedoc last time I was there, I met with um, Maria Marie Chaffray, who is the winemaker for Domaine de la Reserve de O, which um, is a cool uh, region in the Therese de Lazarc region. And she actually, she's a force too. She actually, her and her husband had a wine shop in Paris, and they decided they want to make wine, so they went to the south of France. Um, it's her and her husband. They do biodynamic. They do low intervention. But she um, actually became president of the syndicate of Therese Lazarc and uh, was the one who helped make it become a crew in the Languedoc wow. in 2014. Cool. So she's really cool, too. Very cool. Um, Morgan, obviously some wines are exciting you now. Um, you're always adding things and tasting things. I mean, I'm anxious to hear from you you know, what's exciting out there, whether it's a region, a varietal, a maker, you know, yeah. give me a few. Uh... Sure. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, the focus of the wine list is, is you know, seasonally driven, so, and, and right. menu driven, so there's, it's always in flux, and I'm always... Those are two major things, things at a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, and, and, um, and so, you know, we're always looking to, like, find these exciting wines. That well, are I'm asking you what. So, so I find that I find myself gravitating um, a, a couple of places. Um, I think the Loire for all of its its kind of 
um, you know, storied histories, like to me, I mean, that, the yeah. music that there's, there's a, so stalwart to the True region, but it's, but it's so diverse and it's so large and there's um, a relative accessibility there and there's a younger generation that is um, taking a look at, at, you know, maybe some vines that are not being paid attention to or have not been used and, and utilizing these um, amazing sites to make some really energetic <coughs> wines. Um, and I, I find that those are Does that naturally, friendly. when you say Loire, does it naturally point to a lot of Shannon? Uh, we're my not personal preference <laughs> yeah. but I do a lot of Shannon um, right no. so Loire Shannon what yeah. else give well, me another know, I think that Cabernet Franc Gamay um, and looking to the, the Western Loire and, and things like you know, Chardonnay Muscadet um, Pinot Noir even out there um, all have this wonderful energy and minerality and this kind of juicy acidity very often that is so um, so food appropriate um, also very climatically appropriate for a relatively warm city that we're in um and uh, so that I find really exciting. Um, you know, I think there are areas in southern France that are really, um, again, have that same kind of access to, um, to relatively affordable vineyards um, where people can right. get their hands dirty and start making wine. Um, and I, I always love champagne. I, I don't like it's three French answers, <laughs> yeah. but that's not, that's not my right. overall preference. But, so you're putting more and more yeah. champagne on the list. I, I, I always try to have, like, a little too much on the list, you know. That's good. <laughs> like, that, that, that's happening at a lot of places, which yeah. is good. Now, Laura... What do you, you just don't drink your own wines? I know that. Yeah. What are you liking now? What are you trying? I actually very seldom drink my own wine. I uh, figured that. I try not to. <laughs> um, I joke that I like to drink Grower Champagne, Longue Nebbiolo, and Cabernet Riesling. Jesus, that was like a sommelier's dream, right? (laughs) Riesling, champagne, and not not uh, Sangiovese, but you know Nebbiolo and all that. Uh, I just did a, I was, did a tasting at a friend of mine's house uh, the other night of uh, Alto Piemontese wines. So Very that uh, was interesting amazing. Wines. We did eight of the nine um, appellations there. Um, um, Morgan, those are reasonably priced wines, right? Yes, the yeah, and, and exciting. And, and said like the, the higher altitude Nebbiolo, that the, the expression there is so... So good, um, and so much more accessible yeah. than 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 things you know like Barolo Barbaresco, especially in, in their youth and, and price wise too, really. Yeah. Um, and, and there's some whites there that are really intriguing. Um, yeah, Northern Italy in general has got some really nice pockets of. Um, All right, we're really gonna wrap wine. up in a few minutes, but I had one more question. It's more of a curiosity, and Morgan, you'll go last on this. But I'm just amazed how the restaurant and wine scene in Charleston has blown up. Um, I mean, you're down here, you know, doing that. Jillian, you're down here. Um, I mean, more than other cities. Why, why, why is that happening? Why do you think that a Charleston just continues to expand and blow up? Well, it's a, I think it's a beautiful city to begin with. Um, hospitality is um, a key here. Um, and you want to know, like, with the big cities, New York, San Francisco, L.A., um, it's expensive and hard to do business there and so there's so much talent that they're kind of spilling out into the second tier third tier cities um as are people who need to just live in general and who appreciate like you know uh like restaurants and things like that so i think that's what's happening um part of it um and you know charleston is just super charming yeah uh, i agree yeah Uh, laura i mean a lot of cities are showing growth that, but Charleston just continues to really blow up. I mean, as an observer, what do you think? 
I really like gin and oysters. Okay. <laughs> and so where else are you gonna go, right? Place to be. Gin and oysters. But, uh, no, I, I the, the food. We scene. could uh, answer that question. Here's the question: Why has the Charleston food scene blown up? You know, in such a big way. Her answer is three words: gin and oysters. That's so succinct. That. Yeah. We're gonna leave it at that. What, what? Listen, you experience this. What? You know, yeah. why is this? continue and is it getting too hot or too oh, big that's yeah that's a loaded question um so well that part of the question um i think that charleston you know I, i've lived here most of my life and um you know i've always been enamored of of the natural environs and the historic nature of the city and i think that that secret is is long since out um and the yeah the relative affordability i think is a is a huge um function for investors for talent for people who are ready to leave a um you know a more kind of rat race paced city and and find a little more you know balance between work and life uh, on the you know the industry side of things um and and we are challenged you know we rents are increasing here it's labor market is relatively shallow or you know the labor pool is relatively shallow with high demand for uh for employees um you know transportation and, and all those things that come with a, a burgeoning city um are are really starting to put pressures on on the city to um to make smart moves for for continued growth and success um and fostering all these kind of um, new ventures um, and, and tourism is such a big driver for us that um, that that you know really injects um, a lot of interest uh, even if it's not permanent residency. So even with a college in town and a reputation for hospitality, it's still hard yeah. to get good people because yeah, it's it a huge pool. It is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to hire. There's restaurants opening all the time, or cafes, or you know, shops, or breweries, right. and um, there's so much opportunity for people here that um, that the the available you know labor pool gets spread really thin across a lot of really good options. Right. Um, so that's you know it's it's something that not not exclusive to the food and beverage um, here. I know that that affects other industries as well, um, but it, but it, we feel the burn on on all, all levels. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap up, guys. I want to thank everybody for coming in. Um, today is International Women's Day, so thank you for sharing your thoughts um, on everything. I want to thank uh, Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food Possible. Um, I want to thank Morgan Calcote from Fig in Charleston, Jillian Chiaretta, Associate Editor of Wine Spectator, and Lauren Brennan Bissell from in canoe in canoe and la lalu wines um where could we find the wines if people uh, want to know more about the wines I mean, and then attempt to get them what's the best way to dive into that inconuwine.com is a good place to okay. start i n c o n n u wine okay and can you order wine on the site yep most states we can ship to but i mean in, in i encourage people to go to their local wine shop and right. ask for it and if and they don't have it tell yeah, them to get it exactly because laura sent you <laughs> uh-huh. all right and uh jillian what's coming out on the uh next issue or stand or coming out um the next one that's going to be coming out will be on Ital- italy and discoveries in italy okay. so um a little bit all over the place um so really excited about that okay look for that and morgan you they just announced the james beard semi-finalist for wine program so you're at the end of your tenure basking in your glory yes um yeah. Things are still going well at the restaurant, right? Things are wonderful, and we were very pleasantly surprised to be a semifinalist for Outstanding Restaurant um, for the foundation this year. So, oh, that's um, right. So, you know, it, it, we just keep getting all this really amazing um, and humbling um, 
complimentary attention. So we're, we're just enjoying it and trying to make sure people have a great time when they come to see us. You definitely have it going, and you're doing a bunch of stuff for the uh, Charleston Wine and Food Festival, too. Um, so look out for that. All right, I'm Sam Ben Rui from the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If any of you guys are ever in Bushwick, please come by and visit us. I'll buy you a pizza. Um, listen to over 10,000 episodes of Food Radio Podcasts and be a member, become a member at Heritage Radio Network. Org. And thank you for listening and stay tuned for programming all day. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.